Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Courtside with Beelins and Tennis, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. While we've always done these year-end segments with great friend and day one supporter of the show, David Zakoden, David and I are both thrilled to add my co-host and Hall of Famer, Steve Flink, to join in for this 2021 year-end segment. David, you ready to do another one of these? Absolutely. Uh, as you know, well, this is always one of my favorite segments to, to wrap up uh, what has been a great season in tennis and to have Steve joining us this year is, uh, you know, adds all the more fun to it. Steve, you ready to roll? Absolutely. Looking forward to it. It's going to be a great three-way discussion. I think um, the, the best way to start, and I don't think there's any other way to start, is we talk about the year of, of Novak Djokovic. I mean, 2021 was simply the year of Novak, and he was three sets away. Final match of the final slam of the year from winning the calendar Grand Slam. Seventh year finishing world number one. Broke the tie of six with the great Pete Sampras. By the way, holiday time coming up. Go get Steve's book, Pete Sampras Greatness Revisited. I've read it a couple times. It's great. Um, Novak won his 37th Masters 1000th title. Rafa has 136. To give you an idea, Pete Sampras and Andre Agassi had a combined 28th. And again, Novak's at 37. Um, Steve and I have talked about this quite a bit. So I'll start with David. You know, when you woke up on Sunday morning uh, with that final in New York, did you think it, it, it was Novak's for the taking? And maybe uh, in addition to that, if there were a couple matches, good or bad, throughout the year that really stood out to you um, from Novak? Certainly for the taking. You know, I, I could have dodged the question and said that, you know, oh, maybe I, I could have seen that Medvedev was finally going to break through because he had been playing awesome tennis throughout that whole tournament. But frankly, I thought that it was going to be more close to a repeat of what happened in Australia in the early part of the year where it looked like Medvedev was in promising form. Novak had had some, you know, longer matches in earlier parts of the tournament, but ultimately it was a very surprising result uh, to me, even though that I, I thought that Novak after he beat Sasha in the semis, I thought he was in, you know, obviously had played a lot of tennis, but it was in such great form, uh, especially mentally. But I think maybe we all underestimated a little bit of just how much that pressure component and how much that would really take shape in the final when he played against Medvedev. And that's not to take anything away from Daniil because he played, you know, tremendous tennis. I know you guys talked about that match at lengths uh, when you reviewed the tournament. And yeah, I, I thought he was going to get the grand slam, but all credit to Daniil. Uh, he, he obviously played his butt off in that match. And, you know, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll defer to Steve if, you know, there's any other matches that come to his mind for Novak uh, for 2021. But I think, you know, he came through so many tough matches to get those first three slams. You know, we all talk about the Rafa at the French, but, you know, he had a tough five set in Australia against Taylor Fritz, which he barely got through. So it was a very long road and, you know, ultimately came up a little bit short, but I, I thought he was going to get it done. Steve, anything to add on this? Oh, it's a good David did a nice summation there. I would just say, yeah, I mean, what? Just to get back to the Fritz match, that was that was a key to the whole year. Obviously, he would have never been near putting himself in a position to win the Grand Slam, but he got hurt that night. I think what people forget is he screamed out in utter relief when it was over. The stands had been empty by then; the fans were gone. He was so uh, happy just to have survived. And then, you know, he was not practice. You know, there, there was all this speculation about was he practicing or was he not? And with each match, 
he started to get better and better from Raonic through, through Zarev. And finally, by the time, and Karatsev in the semis, by the time he got to the final, he was in peak form. But that was scary because he didn't know if he was going to get through that match with Fritz uh, physically. It's not that he couldn't win it mentally. So that, that was a big one. And, and I, I think it set up his whole 2021 campaign because that would have been a very d- disappointing way to start the season with a loss to Taylor Fritz. Yeah, I'll, I'll just add, and I, I've said it previously, but if, for those that haven't listened um, to our episodes before, you know, pressure, pressure is a funny thing. And, and, you know, one of the few things I got right, actually, in 2021 was at the, at the beginning of the Open, I said Daniil Medvedev would win the tournament, which he did. But I also had a caveat in there, right? I had a caveat saying if Novak were to get to the final, I thought Novak was going to win. And I just thought because there was so much pressure just to get himself into that position, I thought Sunday, if you get to the final Sunday, you could do it. But but my gosh, and, and all of our guests throughout the year, Steve, have, have, that we've had post-U.S. Open have basically said no one can imagine the amount of pressure he was in. And then once you're there, that pressure hits you in the face. And I think we all saw that. Now, I'll reiterate my photo of the year. Uh, my photo of the year was, was Novak. Um, crying in the towel at one of those very, very late changeovers during that match. I thought it showed such a human side of Novak. I thought just when, when you when you catch moments like that in sports, whatever sport it is, it's such a pure moment that you don't see those all the time. And I thought that was a really, really um, cool moment, uh, that, that picture, uh, that moment of him crying in the towel. Um, with, with that, we'll add, um, I want to kind of go from Novak to the next generation, right? Because we had a next gen final. The final itself didn't play out um, as well as I think we all hoped it, it would be. But you had Carlos Alcaraz, and we're going to talk about Alcaraz and his U.S. Open performance later on. But um, Alcaraz versus Sebastian Corda, and everybody I've talked to uh, is so high on, on Sebastian Corda. Um, even though that next gen final wasn't as dramatic as maybe we would all like. I think there's a good chance that may be a future Grand Slam final. Steve, I'll start with you on that one. What are your thoughts on both of those guys? Yeah, I think you're. I think you're onto something. I think there's a there's a very good chance in the future it could be. And Corda has got such a great temperament, such great all around ability. Uh, you know, the right kind of mentality. The son of a former Grand Slam champion, Peter Corda. I mean, he has it all going for him. The genes and the mother is an uh, also a an athlete. I mean, you know, you, it's, it's all there sisters, golf champions. What, what more could be, what, what kind of template do you want? And I just feel like he, he learned a lot this year and he had some setbacks, a few injuries that, and got sick at the U S open or else he might've been even higher in the rankings, but he will be there. And although he was a bit overwhelmed by Alcaraz that day, that doesn't mean that over time that, that it, the, a rivalry cannot be shaped. And I, and I think it will. And he, he caught him at his very, very best. Alcaraz really peaked for that final and, and, and played a trip. Plus, the format makes it difficult. You know, when you're talking about the four-game sets and tiebreakers at three-all, it's, it's, it's not a typical match. It's a nice showcase for these guys. It, you know, it, it brings something different for the fans and moves it along faster. But who's to say that in a longer match, Corda might not have gotten his teeth into the contest a little better than he did. I do see it as a future uh, major final and maybe, maybe more than once. Yeah. David, what do you think? I mean, those two guys are just studs right now. Yeah. I mean, they're, you know, maybe stepping away from the next gen final a little bit and just looking at both of their curves sort of throughout the season. I think 
Alcaraz, the stat that everyone is mentioning about him, he's like one of the first uh, players to win his debut first round match um, at each slam that he first played for the first time. Um, and I think, you know, he might be a little bit ahead in terms of, you know, how close he is to really competing at the highest level. Although I think Porta is very close. You know, I Porta had a very tight five set match that he played against Kachanov at Wimbledon, which was, you know, a big point in his season. And for Alcaraz, obviously, I think the breakthrough in all of our minds came through when he beat Tsitsipas in, in five sets of the U.S. Open. So I think just in terms of ranking, I think they both won their first titles this year. Uh, I believe Corda was on clay in Italy right before Roland Garros and uh, Alcaraz in Croatia, I want to say, you know, in the, in the summer. So they're both on a great path and, and I think easily could be a, a grand slam, you know, final, as you said, moving forward. Um, but it'll, it will be interesting to see who sort of, you know, rises to the ranks quicker as we get into 2022. Yeah, I want to I want to switch over to two other young people on the female side, and that's Emma Raducanu and Layla Fernandez. Obviously, they played in the finals of the U.S. Open. Um, still trying to wrap my head around Emma uh, winning the U.S. Open, having to go through qualifying in the main draw, not losing a set. That's 20 sets in a row. Um, I'm not surprised at all that she struggled after winning that tournament. I think she only played like two tournaments after. I want to ask your thoughts, but I do want to reiterate what I, something that I heard from Andy Roddick that I felt was really um, well said on tennis channel. He said, let's not worry about titles and everything. Let's worry about consistency and let's get Emma to top 20, getting consistent results week in and week out, and then have her ceiling be, you know, winning grand slams. And I thought that was a good point. Um, It's not like she totally came out of the blue. She had a good Wimbledon run as well, but again, I'm not surprised she struggled those few tournaments after, I mean, her life changed completely. I'll start with uh, the Steve, your thoughts on, on Radicanu going forward. I think a lot of, I, I, yeah, I think Radic is, it's a good assessment and I, I agree with him. I also think that Radicanu, so much of it was that she couldn't, she was trying to, she, trying to deal with a brand new world that she had suddenly entered because I, I think coming into the open, I don't, I doubt that she was really thinking about winning the tournament so much as get through the qualifying. Let's see how far we can take this. But then by the time she got to the quarters, I think it, 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 it dawned on her that it, that this might actually be possible. Then when it was over, it was a lot to live up to. There was a lot of fuss made over, especially back in great Britain. And, and I, I think that worked against her in those couple of tournaments you mentioned, and she didn't really fare well. Having said that those growing pains were inevitable. And uh, I, over the course of the next couple of years, we're going to, we'll see her settle into this status, David, and, and uh, win more majors. I'm, I'm pretty confident of that given, given the number, the diversity of players that she beat at the open and the way she handled her first big final. Fernandez is the one who'd come off all the big wins. She's the one who's knocked off three top five players. She's the one who beats Osaka. And, and so I feel like, that that was not an accident for either one of them, frankly. I don't think it was an accident for either one because Fernandez is so crafty and Emma is just so solid that I think that they uh, there's tremendous long term potential for both, and the consistency will come. That's how that's how I would say. Getting back to Roddick's comment, they will find that consistency over time. It's just that it was a lot to adjust to in a short time. A hundred percent. David, I mean, uh, you're not surprised that she struggled right after the Open, too, for a little bit, right? 
No, I, I totally agree with Steve, you know, from, from the mental challenges that, that come with sort of that territory of being a, you know, Grand Slam champion, let alone at, at such a young age. What I would add to the Roddick comment is that, you know, it's, it's really a focus of, of how she approaches the future, because obviously when you win a Grand Slam and have so much success so quickly, the expectations, you know, elevate extremely quickly as well. And to the extent that she's got, you know, this is something that I think Rafa has talked a lot about when he's been asked about young players, to the extent that she's able to surround herself with the best support team. Like I know she um, parted ways with her coach that had helped her on the way to the U.S. Open is now working with somebody else. And to the extent that she's able to surround herself with people who are able to better manage uh, that territory and those expectations of, you know, you can't win a grand slam or you can't win every single tournament that you come out to play. Uh, but at the same time, establishing those consistent results, I think that's, that'll be the key to her success, not just next year, but, you know, throughout the, her whole career. Cause obviously she's extremely what she's 19 or 20 years old. So she's got a long way ahead of her. Steve, let me ask you this um, with that U S open final, Emma Raducanu and Layla Fernandez, do you think having the attention go away from Coco Goff a little bit will help her? Will take some of the pressure off of her in the future? Um, because, you know, 2019, all eyes on her. 2020 was just such a weird year with the pandemic. And 2021, maybe all eyes going, uh, you know, to someone else can actually help her moving forward. I think so. And they're going to be, there's still going to be plenty of talk and expectations surrounding Fernandez as well. I would say this relating to David's comment uh, on the coaching that concerned me. I don't know how you can say I needed somebody. I need another coach who's more familiar with the WTA tour. You've just won the U S open. You've won 10 matches. All these players play the WTA tour. This coach helped you get through the U S open. I found that a bit puzzling, but uh, hopefully that's just an adjustment. She felt she had to make now and that she will settle down and, we won't see her going through, you know, all kinds of coaches and switching every few months because that can only be disruptive. But I, I think she's got a good head on her shoulders. And I, I, I'm, I think that hopefully that's just an isolated incident and she can move on and make the most of her vast potential. Yeah. If it ain't broke, fix it kind of thing. Um, yeah. American men. I mean, we've we've done a, a few of these segments, you know, every year, uh, you know, the past several years. And I don't think we've ever felt as good as uh, how we currently feel about the American men during a year end segment in a, in a long time. You, we've talked about quarter. We got Brandon Nakashima, Jensen Brooksby, Riley Opalka making a masters 1000 final in Toronto, fourth round of the U S open Taylor Fritz doing well. Tiafo getting more consistent results. Tommy Paul winning the Stockholm open beating, not only Fritz in the semis, but Chapovalov in the final. Um, David, I'll start with you. I mean, this is the best time we've felt. I don't know if we had a Grand Slam winner yet in the next couple of years, but um, we got uh, we, you got to be feeling good about this crop of players, at least uh, better than we felt the last several years. I think what you just said a couple seconds ago is really the key to this conversation with, you know, not knowing what the future holds in terms of Grand Slams. I think the goalposts have moved a little bit for American men's tennis and in a way that's more positive as it relates to these guys, because in the past, you know, however many years you often see the stats, Hey, no Americans are making it to week two of this and this grand slam for the first time, or 
American drops out of top 10, top 15, top 20, first time since whenever the rankings were established. Now that some of those sort of negative uh, assessments of the state of, of tennis, you know, on the men's side here are sort of, you know, a little bit in the rearview mirror, obviously the expectations are still high and we want to grow the game. We want to have Grand Slam champions in this country. I think it's been a little bit more fun to follow some of the unique individual storylines of each of these players. And you mentioned them by name. Um, you know, I don't think we need to go through each of their seasons specifically. Uh, but like you said, there's, there's success in terms of getting deeper into bigger tournaments, especially with, you know, less of a presence from the big three this year. It's really been Novak who's been the most consistent player at the top of the game. There's more opportunities for an Opelka to get through to a, a Masters 1000 final and, you know, play a, a tough match against Medvedev. Um, you know, it's a lot of it. It's, it's all earned for, for each of these guys. Whenever there's a run, you know, I, we talked about Fritz's match against Novak in Australia. He played great in Indian Wells to wrap up the season. So uh, I think the future is bright. It's just a question of, and, and maybe it's a great question for, for Steve to go into, but what does bright necessarily mean, right? Because if we're using the barometer of a Grand Slam champion like we've did in, like we done in decades past, it might be tough to meet that bar. But at the same time, we can all acknowledge that each of these guys are, you know, improving and they're on their own path to, you know, hitting those top 40, top 30, top 20 milestones, so on and so forth. Yeah, Steve, I'll let you continue. Yeah, it's interesting. As, as I'm listening to David say that, I, I'm thinking about one of the things they have to avoid is not getting too ranking obsessed. And I remember having this discussion a couple of years ago with Taylor Fritz, and he was saying how he and he and uh, Tiafo would send each other texts and say, okay, it's top 20, no excuses, you know, and they would spur each other on. And you have a coach like Paul Anacone who doesn't like that, feels that you've got to make your goals a little, not, a little less ranking oriented and more toward improving your game. But I do believe, I will say this, I think that when we spoke to Brad Gilbert and uh, Brad singled out, and I couldn't agree more, the two to single out, are Corda and Brooksby in terms of really enormous long-term potential and potential Grand Slam champions in, in my mind, that the rest of them are all terrific players and they, they all have the potential for top 20, maybe even top 10. And Tommy Paul realized that goal. I'd spoken to him a year, a year and a half ago for an interview and he kept up saying, I want a title. What I really want is an, a title on the ATP tour. He got it. He got it convincingly. I think the other two, though, there's just something in their mentality. Corda uh, is so mature for his age. Brooksby suddenly came of age across the summer in a way that I've seen very few players do uh, in all my years of watching tennis. I saw him play in Newport. I watched him get to the final there against Kevin Anderson. You know, you're, you're seeing this kid and you're impressed. And then over the, suddenly, <laughs> suddenly he's, he's uh, tournament after tournament across the summer and then right onto the open where he, he eventually lost to Novak and after a great run and beating Fritz along the way, beating Karatsev along the way. So I just feel like these two guys, they think big and they have the games to back it up. And that if Brooksby can only, you two being, uh, understanding a lot about coaching, here's a guy that got into the top 60 in the world. And it, it's one of the most mediocre serves I've seen for a player of his level. And as you know, Andy Roddick volunteered to have him come out and work on that serve for a few days. I hope Brooksby will take him up on it. 
But just imagine if he beefs up that serve and makes it more of a weapon so that's that's commensurate with other players of the top rank, the top ilk. I, I, so I'm very encouraged about both of those guys. And Corda just has such a good head on his shoulders. He's just great all-around ability. There's very little to pick apart in his game. So I just feel like those two, I think Gilbert was was right. And I see them, no, not this year, not, not 2022, but by 2023, they're going to be really threatening for majors. It wouldn't shock me to see one of them pull one off by the end of 2023. That's interesting. Yeah, again, the good news is that we're talking about these people um, all doing good things, and that's progress. That's great progress. So um, let's hope that all plays out. I want to go, I have a bunch of different um, topics I want to hear your thoughts on. Um, and they're kind of no real logical order, but I won't say it's like a you know quick snippet. We could do kind of quick to medium snippets, but I'm just going to toss out some topics and I'll kind of direct traffic on who wants to go first. But I'm, I'm eager to hear uh, your thoughts on that. And, and I'll, I'll start with um, Rafael Nadal. And uh, he's been hitting a little bit, so let's hope he's healthy. And I'll, uh, I'll, I'll throw this out to David to start. Um, you know, he's owned Roland Garros forever. Novak had that great match with him in the semis this past year. Um, point blank, does Rafa come back and win his 14th Roland Garros title? I think he does. It's, uh, it's not a no-brainer. It, it's, it's, it's not your typical year where you can pretty much pencil him in minus, you know, some tough, a tough Novak match that might come into play. But I think with Rafa and, and maybe, I don't know, to what extent the whole tennis world is going to be paying attention to this exhibition that's going on in Abu Dhabi in a couple of weeks. But I think despite it being an exhibition, I think we might really be able to see what kind of form and what kind of physical shape he's in based on how he performs at this exhibition. Because I think the, the quote that he said recently was, we'll see how I do there. And that'll sort of shape my preparation into the summer uh, hardcore Australia season. So I think if if he gets some matches under his belt and and really as he does for every season focuses on peaking on the clay, which I don't really think he was peaking on the clay this past year. He he struggled in Monte Carlo when he lost to to Rublev. Uh, you know he he won Barcelona in a huge match against Stefanos, beat Novak in three in Rome. So he could say that he was in great form going into the French, but clearly there was this nagging injury with the foot that we just didn't know much about before he lost to Novak in, in the great semi. So I think he'll get it done, but really look out for how he does on these first initial hardcore tournaments, just to see what kind of shape that foot's in. Steve, real quick, before I give another topic to you, Steve, does he get it done? Does he get his 14? I, I, I'm reserving judgment because I feel like we've got to see how he does look. For instance, the Abu Dhabi is one thing. I want to see how he looks in best of five over the first, the course of the Australian Open, what we see out of him there and beyond. So I just feel like that foot is so unpredictable. It's something we didn't know about that he'd been dealing with going back to 05, which was kind of a shocker when he revealed that news this summer. And I would have thought that the break, David, that he took after that match with Novak at the French and skipping Wimbledon and coming back in Washington would have been enough. And it wasn't. He was still in a lot of pain. So then he says... I'm gone for the year. Wise move. I think it's a, it's a, it's just hard to gauge. If I, if, if I, if we see him play reasonably well on the hard courts and then he has as, as a clay court circuit, that's more convincing. Cause I agree with 
David, it wasn't a convincing clay court season this time, even though he won a couple of tournaments because the Sitsipas match, you know, he, he barely scraped that one out. And it, w- it was a tough road and lot, some more tough matches than usual along the way. And then played well at Roland Garros leading up to Novak, but maybe not vintage Rafa. So I, I want to, I just, normally I would say, oh, absolutely. And coming into this year's French, I thought he was going to win it as well. But I, now I, now I just, I, I'm, I'm more skeptical because I think that even he just doesn't know what to expect. Plus he's coming back after a long layoff. It's going to be, yeah. it's going to be fascinating to see what he can do in Melbourne. No, I, I agree. Uh, I agree. I, I hope he gets his 14th. I, I love watching him play on clay and how he's dominated that surface is, is something I don't think we'll ever see uh, again in, in any of our lifetimes. And I hope we all live a long time. Um, I'll ask Steve to, predict the future on this one, because this is a little tricky question. Um, Novak, I don't think any of us think Novak is, is going to choose to not play Australia. So I think we all agree that he's going to go and play. Um, we all know the rules that are in effect and, and we can, we, we don't need to get into all of that. I think he'll do whatever he needs to get to do to play. I don't think he's going to miss it. So I will ask, if Novak wins the Australian and let's say he wins the French, Steve, let's say he wins the first two again. Does he in 2022 get the calendar grand slam? I don't, I don't think so. I honestly don't think, and I'm a, I am so bullish on Djokovic. I'm such a great admirer of his mental strengths and his, his physical prowess. So, so many things we can rave about. And I thought he was so worthy of the honor this year, but I don't see him after Wimbledon next year uh, in the same boat with three Grand Slam titles as pocket heading for the fourth. Wouldn't shock me if he got two of the three, but I, d- I don't see it. And as for Australia, I would just add this, David. I really believe that he has very strong convictions about that vaccine. And he and he's in, he, I don't know what he bases his views on, but I think they're very, very strong clear-cut views of anti-vaccine and have been from the beginning. So I'm not totally convinced we're going to see him. I, I would love to be wrong. I want to see him back there going for a 10th, but I'm, I'm not convinced because I'm not sure that he, it, it's unclear that he's had the vaccine yet. And if he hasn't, how does he get in? They're not making any exceptions. So I'm a little worried about that. And I think it would be a shame for the tournament, but I think he had, he has really, he, uh, these are, these are views that are, are, run very deep in his veins and I well, and have have from the beginning. So I, I have to say, I won't be shocked. I'll just be, if he doesn't go and I'll be pleasantly surprised and happy if he does. So let me throw this to David and then Steve, you can, you can add anything to it. David, I just don't see the fact of Novak risking the chance. And I know Rafa has not had good luck in Australia. He's only went at once and things seem to go wrong for Rafa, but if Novak chooses not to play Australia, there is a chance that Rafa can win the first two slams of the year and all of a sudden have a 23-21 Grand Slam lead over Novak. I don't think Novak wants to risk that. Now I'll leave it to you to, to, to talk about that. I see where you're coming from. I just don't know if, if that's the way, if that's his personal thought process this offseason. Um, you know, I... I'm not going to try to guess on how he's evaluating this year, obviously a massive amount of positives, but 
you know, disappointment as recent as, as yesterday with Serbia losing um, in the semis of the Davis Cup and looks like he wasn't too thrilled that they don't have a, a great, you know, doubles team out there. But that part of it aside, I, I agree with Steve on this one. I think he does have very strong convictions um, as it relates to, to the vaccine and the eligibility for the Australian Open. And again, not going to pretend to predict what's gone through his mind, but I would say that whatever views and thoughts he has there, I think they're stronger than whatever fears he might have of what one of his competitors might do. And, and frankly, if, if it's one of those things where he doesn't come to Australia and someone like Rafa wins it and is now ahead of him in the race, I feel like it just, it'll give him more fuel uh, to his fire to keep grinding because you could make an argument after this season, you know, he's, he's virtually achieved it all, right? He came short of the grand slam a very unrealistic goal moving forward um but he's got the seven year end number one finishes he's you know he's atop the lead i think in the media you know widely people are now saying that he's the greatest player of all time which and and the the love and support from the fans he sought after he got it in new york during that final so again uh i just i don't think he approaches it that way but you know it's open to anyone's interpretation there's another, th- just another uh, point to be made is that, uh, David, I think that at one time there was all that talk about possibly they let players come in and quarantine if they hadn't had the vaccine. I think at that time he probably was encouraged that that was an option, a very viable option for him. Then, of course, that did not come about. So then the question is, at w- what stage would he have taken the vaccine? It's all a mystery right now. And let's just hope that uh, in the end, he's back there because the tournament would lose him. When you have such a dominant champion as he has been in Melbourne, it would be a shame for him. Not, but I also agree with David that if for some, if Rafa managed to finally complete his set of at least winning two majors, because Novak's the only one in the open era to do that, to win at least two at all four majors, and Rafa would, would then join him in that department, that would spur Novak on. Novak would be incredibly motivated to go back and defend the French and keep Rafa from moving too ahead of him. Yeah, it but changes also, the landscape, Steve, if, if Rafa could win Australia and the French. It would, but but we were discussing Rafa, David, in regard to Roland Garros, where obviously that's that, that's his home away from home. But uh, as far as Melbourne, yeah, it's, he's had terrible luck there through the years. He's played great tennis there through the years, but has only the one title, which goes back to 2009. Think about that. That's a long time. And uh, to, to then come back and reclaim a second title. So I still think the odds are against him after this much time away. Uh, yeah, quarter or semi, potentially a final. But there's for him to have to go through the likes of Zarev and Sitas and Medvedev on hard courts is, is a tall order at this stage of his career. Yeah. Best, of five, best of five or not. No, I agree. I agree. Um, all right. Two guys that we really did not hear anything about um, in 2021. Dominic Team and Stan Wawrinka. You got Dominic Team wins his soul, his only Grand Slam at the very end of 2020, U.S. Open. Um, just edging out Sasha's Zverev. You got Stan Wawrinka. We haven't heard of anything. What are you guys looking um, for both of them in 2022? David, I'll start with you. I'm bullish on team always have been. Uh, I think some of these injuries that he had uh, in 2021 were a little bit 
you know, I don't want to say fluky, but it was it was very unlucky that he he's had he had these setbacks. But we also know that he wasn't he wasn't playing great before he even got injured. I think it was right before um, Wimbledon with his arm. Uh, he lost in the first round of the French Open. Steve, you alluded to the some of the mental challenges and struggles that he would he had been well spoken about uh, in interviews in the first part of the year and talking about how he, he sort of had a had a letdown after that U.S. Open victory, but. I think that hunger is firmly going to be back as it relates to team because, you know, I don't want to say people have forgotten about him, but everyone's talking right now about Medvedev, Zverev, and Tsitsipas, right? The, you know, little three as so to speak, and maybe a little bit of, of crumbs to Rublev in that conversation. And I think he'll be eager to sort of reinsert himself into that uh, debate because even though he's a couple years older and wouldn't necessarily be part of that, sort of, you know, next gen in quotations, I think he's, he firmly wants to, you know, cement himself as not a one slam wonder who won, you know, the, the, the U S open with no fans where, you know, he didn't have to go through any of the big three to get that title. So I think he'll be very hungry if he's healthy. I think he'll be back to the level that he's been at Uh quick two words on Stan. Uh, I said, bullish on team. I'm bearish on Stan. I think, Age might be catching up. He had, um, you know, multiple now times in his career that he's taken a lot of time off. I think he's still supremely talented and maybe on any given day can go out and beat some of the top players. Like he, you know, took out Novak in the round of 16 of the U.S. Open in, in 2019. But to string a lot of long matches together to, you know, get to the heights that he's gotten to, in earlier parts of his career, I, I just don't think it's a super realistic expectation at this point. Steve, I'll let you uh, speak on both of them as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm largely in accord with Dave, certainly in accord with him when it comes to Stan Wawrinka. And, and uh, there will be isolated afternoons, uh, as David said. There's going to be those moments and matches where he sort of rekindles the old mat, the old magic, but I don't think Stan can do that on the consistent basis we saw from him in that period from uh, two, 2014, 15, 16 will always be the golden years of his career when he won his first major in Australia and then backed it up by winning the French the next year. And then the U S open in 16 it was, that was a spectacular one for Stan. I don't think we're ever going to see that Stan again, but uh, I, I hope he can make a modest comeback as far as Dominic is concerned. I'm, I'm a, again, I'm, I'm, I'm a find myself reserving judgment to some degree. I'm a little worried that part of what happened to him at the start early in this year was a mental, he acknowledged it, that he was having some mental struggles and maybe it was all maybe tied into COVID and the COVID issues remain. And uh, then, then the physical woes started and the wrist. And I, I just think he, he needs to kind of build up some momentum early in the season. He needs to start playing well early on and certainly have a good clay court season that can put him in good stead for Roland Garros. If he can do that, he's a serious threat. He, he might be, he would be one of those guys that could stand up to Rafa right now in a best of five set match on clay at Roland Garros. You know, he hasn't beaten him there yet, but he's fully capable of doing so. If, if, if the old Dominic uh, reemerges, I hope he does. I'd like to see him because right now I see it the, the kind of the new big three, depending on what happens with Rafa and, and certainly Roger, we don't expect back before the summer is obviously Djokovic, Zarev, Medvedev or Djokovic, Medvedev, Zarev. Yeah. And it would be nice to have Dominic 
in very much in the mix with those guys and and uh, asserting his own authority. Yeah, no, it'll be interesting to see both those guys. Another guy that to me personally was inspiring to see him playing so well was uh, was Andy Murray. And I've spoken to both of you guys uh, separately, and I, I know your views. You guys are pretty much on the same page, and I'll let you speak to it in a second. But my gosh, I mean, he played some really good tennis, but he just his ranking is still so low. He gets these brutal draws. I mean, he had wins over Sinner, Herkosh, Alcaraz. TFO, um, Umberi lost his Vera of seven, six in the third set at Indian Wells. He believes he can beat all these guys and get back to the top of the game. I, I think he really does. The problem is his ranking is so low. He has to play so many good players right out of the shoot in these tournaments. I personally hope he can somehow not have these brutal draws, get his ranking up where he doesn't have to play these unbelievably tough draw so early um steve i'll start with you on this he was inspiring to me to watch where what do you think 2022 is going to be for andy murray uh, i think he, he might be able to build on some of the progress he made this year and i think we could see andy maybe uh, our top solid top 50 maybe make a move toward the top toward the top 20 at best case scenario i just think the problem david is you you describe those draws no doubt they, some of the draws are brutal but the old Andy Murray would not always be finding himself in long two and a half hour, three set matches constantly. And, and so he's losing to a lot uh, struggling against a lot of players that at one time, I think he might've beaten four and four. And that matters because it takes, it weakens him. It softens him for the, the, the bigger contests ahead. And, and, and you know, maybe he can get over that hurdle and knock off some of those, the, the, the uh, Sitsipas or Zarev on his on given day himself. Maybe we'll see that happen. But I think the problem is going to be that, uh, you know, having gone with all the physical territory he's covered and the hip and what, what he's had to endure, I, I just think the day in, day out uh, effort is really debilitating. The attitude is fantastic. Fantastic. I, think he, I mean, the way he, he really has a very positive attitude, he doesn't feel at all sorry for himself or what he's been through and is enjoying. He's really clearly enjoying himself. But on the other hand, he has a difficult time putting aside, you know, knocking off the, the likes of a Dominic Kepfer, you know, and uh, despite seven match points, those things can happen to him now in a way that wouldn't, wouldn't have been the case before. So it's a double-edged sword and I'm not sure where we're headed, but I really find it commendable that he is, that he's making such an all consuming effort to uh, bring his game back to the top level. Well, I'll, I'll ask Dave. I mean, I know David's thoughts on it, and I know he agrees with you pretty much 100% of the way, but I'll ask him if you have anything else to add to it, David, because I think both of you guys are on, are, are on the same page with this one. Steve put it perfectly as it relates to the, to the physical piece of it and then, and then the attitude as well. The only thing that I'll add is, you know, on that mental attitude point is a lot of the comments that he's made have sort of been in the direction of, I just need that one breakthrough and I know it's coming. I feel very confident. And if he can get that breakthrough, however you quantify that breakthrough, if it's winning a 250 or a 500 that he gets into, or maybe if he goes deep in Australia and, you know, by deep, I mean, maybe, you know, quarters, semis unlikely, but if he's able to get that breakthrough, then maybe that's sort of even more fuel that he can use to sort of, um, I don't know if it's a change in tactics, if he, if he plays more aggressively such that some of these matches, like Steve said, end up being four and four, as opposed to, you know, a seven, six in the third three hour 
grind it out type of match. I don't know if that if if that's what what that would elicit, but I think if if he can get a breakthrough, however he he uh, sort of evaluates it, that might propel him to sort of you know channel that hunger in in a manner that'll be you know arguably more productive than you know the way he's been channeling earlier this year, where it's like you know round of thirty two, round of sixteen, and then he runs up against a tough draw like like you said, David. Yeah. Um, I'll stick with David on this one real quick. This is a quick hitter. Um, who wins their first major, Sitsipas or Zverev, and will it be in 2022? Yes, it will be in 2022. Um, you know, Steve talked about how he, you know, he thinks Novak might get might get two of the majors. We don't know about Rafa with the French reserving judgment there. I think it'll it will happen in 2022 and. You have to go with Zverev uh, just because there's a little bit more uncertainty with Tsitsipas. He just had the elbow surgery, said he's going to be back for Australia. Um, he sort of, I don't want to say flamed out, but I think he sort of um, started, you know, feeling some of the physical and mental fatigue toward the end of the season. It was obviously very difficult for him to overcome being up two sets to love and, you know, not being able to close on the French Open final, lost early at Wimbledon. Uh, Olympics, so on and so forth. Um, whereas Verov, I mean, the the numbers don't lie. He's playing the best tennis. tennis and what else is there for him to do? He's won every. Right. I mean, that's the slam. He's thing. won. He's won the year end finals twice. He's got a gold medal. He's he has beaten Novak on you know pretty meaningful stages. To beat Novak and Medvedev, you know, two days back to back at the year end finals. Um, I know it's indoor hard court, but I think mentally is really where he was maybe lacking some of it. And in, in previous grand slam runs, we used to talk about how he'd always have to play long five setters, even in the early rounds of majors, we're seeing less and less of that. He's going deep in, in each of the four, I guess not Wimbledon yet, but uh, I, I think Zverev and I wouldn't be shocked if it happened in Australia. Steve, what do you think? He, uh, uh, David just spoke for me. So let's go to the next question. No, it, it, let me just allow. <laughs> I really do see it largely the way he does. I think Zarev is poised to win at least one major next year, potentially two, because I just think he's, he's built up so much confidence and uh, on big occasions, winning that Olympic goal was a big deal to come from a set and a breakdown and beat Djokovic in the semis and no, no disgrace to lose to him in five to Novak in the semis of the U.S. Open and then to beat those guys in the year end. He just the tennis that he played really from August to the end of the year was spectacular. And what I liked best was there was bread and butter. This wasn't just the idea of flashy, great days. That There were a lot of very good days and that he straightened out his mentality on the serve and doesn't feel like he's got to go for so many 135 second serves, you know, where he's rolling the dice and then hitting the next one to be a 80 mile an hour kicker. He's found a balance middle ground. So he hardly double folded that whole week. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was unbelievable how few doubles he served over the course of the week at the ATP finals in Turin. So I just feel like he's found the formula and his forehand is much more solid than it used to be. So you look at the, the physical framework of his game on top of the improved mentality, that uh, mental toughness, it, it's just hard for me to imagine he doesn't get on the board and that once he does, then he, you know, he's over that hurdle and he, he will win multiple majors and be a force for years to. Yeah. I think the two of us, I think all three of us are on the same page there. Um, 
This is great. A few more. I love hearing your thoughts on all these topics. Um, one person we really, uh, I think, Steve, you referred to him briefly, but we, we have to talk about Roger here a little bit. Um, he basically already said it'd be really surprising if, if he even got back ready to play Wimbledon. So with that, um, I mean, he, if you take a whole nother, let's say he takes a whole year off. I mean, you're still getting another age by, you're still getting another year older in age biologically, maybe athletically, you're saving some time. Um, if he's not 100% ready to go, even slightly after Wimbledon, do you maybe say scratch 2022 and let's try to save the body, get the body in as best shape as you can and maybe go 2023? Steve, I'll ask you to start there. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a fa- that's a great question. I no, I mean, my feeling is he realistically, he's going to turn 41 in this, in this coming summer. So to be launching your comeback as you're approaching 42, I mean, even he, he talks about miracles and he believes in miracles. And he says it, 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 it's, it's, it's so compelling listening to it come out of his mouth. But the question becomes, how, is, is, there any, is there any reality to that whatsoever? I mean, I think the comeback has to be launched this summer uh, post Wimbledon to see what he what kind of strides he can make by the end of the year and then maybe try to carry on into the following year. I'm I'm not optimistic. I don't frankly think that he is, but I just feel he's not quite ready to let go. On the other hand, he had such a largely injury free career and he came back so magnificently from this first knee surgery, which had happened, of course, in the in 2016 to win the 2017 Australian and go on and win Wimbledon that year as well, and then. Uh, at an Australian the following year. That phase from the beginning of 17 into 18 was was a, a comeback that should not be ignored in itself. But this time, I, I'm, I'm really quite pessimistic about his chances. It, 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 all the power to him if he can pull off the miracle that he describes, but it's a tall order. Yeah, it's, a, it's just a shame that he says that he may not even be ready for Wimbledon because I think that's his best slam to make one last run. And uh, if he's not ready for it in 2022, then he said, you got to wait a whole nother year. And uh, it, it just gets the, the goal. Uh, or, I mean, the, it just gets harder and harder and harder every week, month and year that goes by, David, I'll, I'll throw it your way. I mean, <laughs> what do you see? I know you're, you're, you're one of the biggest Roger Federer fans out there. Yeah. I mean, I, I share Steve's pessimism. The only thing I'll add is, you know, there's there's probably a pretty significant delta between this sort of miracle of, hey, not only did I come back from multiple knee surgeries, I also got back to the top of the mountain and maybe got to a Grand Slam final or even won something versus what might be a more realistic expectation, which is just walking away from the game on, on his own terms, right? Because that's, that's what's really reeling him in to sort of attempt yet another comeback is because he doesn't, you know, as he mentioned in an interview that he did, you know, I think it was a few weeks ago, he said, I don't, I don't want the last memory that people have of me to be a, you know, getting bageled in the third set against Hubert Hercatch at, at Wimbledon. So will he attempt it? Um, yes. And frankly, there's, there's just, we have to accept that there's a lot that we don't know. Like, is it possible that he came back too quick this year because he was, he wanted to be back for Wimbledon. You know, he tried to come back. I think he played in cutter in, in the month of March this year. 
was that too early. He played that one hard court event. And then he played Geneva before the French Open, retired at the French after three, you know, I think the first round he won in straight sets, but then he played a couple long four setters against Chilich and Kepfer. So we don't really know what kind of shape he was in going into this past comeback. And we're likely not even going to know what state his, his body is in going into the next one. So um, like I said, I think it's doable to sort of maybe get back on tour and go out on his terms. But beyond that might be, might be a little more difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we will, we'll, we'll see how this all plays out. Cause we know everybody loves Roger so, so much. And uh, we'll see what happens going forward. I want to ask both of you, um, I'm going to share my favorite moment of the year, and then I'm going to ask both of you what your favorite moment of the year was. Um, again, for listeners who have listened to a lot of the episodes this year, you will have heard me talk about the first Friday and that first week of the U.S. Open. And uh, it was one of my favorite episodes with Steve. We had our week one recap of the U.S. Open, and what a week one that was. That Friday, and again, we're, clocking, we're talking about the first week. We're not talking about any single best day in the second week. There's been so many super Saturdays that we all, everyone talks about 1984. I'm talking first week, first day, that Friday, with Muguruza defeating Azarenka in three sets. Alcaraz setting the tournament on fire with 7-6 win in the fifth first uh, over Stefanos. You got Lila Fernandez beating uh, Naomi Osaka. You saw Osaka kind of lose it a little bit. Um, that was not easy to watch. Um, and then for the, the nightcappers, you had, uh, for those that stayed up, you had TFO beating uh, Rublev. Uh, to me, that day was uh, my favorite moment of the year. David, you were actually on the grounds for that day, I believe, right? Yes, I was. Um, I arrived for the night session. Yeah, I'll ask you maybe for your brief your brief thoughts on that day. And then I'll ask you, you know, and then go ahead into your favorite moment of the year and then we'll pass it on to Steve. That day was remarkable. Like I said, I, I missed some of those matches because I got there for the night session and I was on Armstrong for what was another five setter that I don't think you even mentioned, which was between uh, Felix and uh, Roberto Batista. Yeah. It was a fantastic match, but you know, the atmosphere, um, you know, at the U S open is, is unlike any other, you know, we hear a lot of those cliches around the event, but that was arguably one of the most electrifying first weeks at a major and, and specifically that day um, that we've had in a while and having the crowds back versus, you know, what the situation was like, not only in, in 2020, but at other majors in the early part of this year where Australia you had quarantines where, you know, there were no crowds for some matches similarly at the, at the French and I think Wimbledon got to full capacity, but that, that night was, um, was absolutely special for me. The, the most, the moment that stuck out the most was the match of the year. And, you know, one of the best matches that I've seen in a long time, which was the Rafa Novak semi at the French. I mean, if, if you take into account the, the crowd staying past the curfew, the, immense quality of the that third set of tennis you know the you know and play lending itself to you know much longer rallies I mean that was just the battle of of all battles this season and it's unfortunate that that ultimately that match is you know both guys went in very different directions after that Novak overcame even bigger hurdles to to win more majors uh you know after that match whereas Rafa suffered the injury but 
uh, that was the most memorable moment for, for me this season. Steve, we'll throw it to you. Hey, once again, I guess I get, can't, I, 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 I'm in danger of saying great minds think alike because <laughs> immediately, and, and as you know, David, I like to just sort of respond spontaneously to your questions. You know, you, you prepare so well, but I like to not even think about what you might be thinking about. And that match was the clear standout to me because you're talking about potentially two of the great, two of the top three greatest players of all time playing at Roland Garros, Rafa's turf, Novak desperately wanting to beat him in a semifinal, having been crushed by him in the final. Let's not forget that, that whitewash he had against Rafa in the finals, which was less than a year earlier. It was last September. And, uh, and this match, the 2021 match started out the same way. It was four. Started zero, out I think. Way. Yeah. Because it was Rafa was five love up before you knew it. And then Novak kind of, willed his way back into that set and made it respectable. And, and then, you know, it was a good solid second set from Djokovic. And then the, the, the almost ineffable, ineffable third set that David just talked about where, and I still remember Novak at set point down, hitting a backhand drop shot down the line, one of the gutsiest moves you could make in that setting, because they both knew, they both knew uh, how critical that third set was going to be. It's not that it, Either one of them is not fully capable of rallying from two sets to one down to win in five, but there was, they put 90 minute minutes of uh, just supreme effort into winning that set. And to me, it was the single greatest set I've ever seen them play against each other, David. I, I don't put it as a match up there with say the, the 2012 Australian open final of five hours, 53 minutes and Djokovic rallying from down four to 30, 15 in the fifth or, the great Wimbledon semi they had in 18 that went right down to the wire in five sets. But, but as a, that set alone was just, you, you isolate that set. And I don't, I don't think we've ever seen them both play that well against each other simultaneously. So it was impossible for me not to, not to uh, single that one out. And I just would add to that, that for Djokovic to then come from two sets down against Sitsipas, whatever help he might have had along the way. And I was watching it again the other day, just for fun. And what I think people forget too easily about that one is that Sitsipas really dug in in the fifth set. Djokovic had pretty much rolled through the third and fourth sets, but then Sitsipas really fought hard in the fifth, ferociously. And it was a much higher quality level of tennis again, and Djokovic still prevailed and by that on the heel what was a four set match six draft of the might as well have been five given the effort required but with a joke which will look back on that achievement very proudly yeah um no we appreciate your thoughts there um we're gonna keep continuing here we're going pretty long um i just want to have a few closing thoughts that i want to throw out there um as we wrap up this segment i i do predict um, and these are just kind of out there, uh, random thoughts, but I, I do want to mention a few things before we close. Um, I do predict a, a, a new uh, slam winner on the female side. I mean, that's not news. There's, there's first-time winners on the female side all the time. But in 2022, I think Maria Sakri, who had a heck of a year, I think she's going to win her first slam of the year. 2022 got very close um, in the French Open this past year. I was surprised that she um, – Lost when she did in the U.S. Open. I thought she was going to uh, win the match that she lost in the, in the U.S. Open. Um, I also do want to address the, the Peng Shui thing. I mean, obviously, 
the situation there is just so messy and just hope she's safe. And I think we all give a shout out to WTA chairman and CEO Steve Simon for his strong stance on this and, uh, you know, suspending events in China, um, which he just announced uh, very recently. Um, and with that, I mean, I know we, we, we can't cover everything. I think we covered quite a, uh, quite a bit. I'll leave it to both of you guys if uh, you want to hit on anything else. But um, I think we, we hit most of it. Steve, anything else you want to add? I, I just I, I'm so happy because I agree with the two of you 99.7% of the time. But finally, an area of disagreement. I do not see Sakari winning a major. I'm concerned about her sort of semifinal syndrome. And she'll get over that for sure. Yeah. And, and not that I don't think, by the way, that she isn't, wouldn't be worthy if she pulled off a major. I, I don't quite see it. I still see her being in the forefront of the game and being in the latter stages of majors frequently. I'm not predicting that she'll win a major this coming year. So thankfully, we have an area, an honest disagreement. And then on Peng, on Peng Shui, uh, one of the greatest displays of leadership that I've seen, uh, Steve Simon, because if you notice, Gaudenzi then made a statement on behalf of the ATP that was very, in my opinion, very mealy mouth. It was, it was, it was very carefully constructed. And yes, he, he was supportive of what the WTA was doing, but I was hoping that what Gaudenzi was going to do, David, was to pretty much take the same stance as Steve Simon and say, we are following suit. We don't want to say that we're canceling these events, but we are, as of now, we are suspending all our events in China and, we, we want to see, we are a united front with the WTA. I wish that had happened. I hope it still does because I think they should be united and there, there should be a feeling every bit as the strength of support from the men on behalf of a woman player. And it should happen in reverse too, if that were the case or something that happened to one of the men. It, it, it needs to be one strong united front. And perhaps Gaudenzi will will there'll be some evolution here there'll be some some in the weeks to come he may take a different stance i didn't like that initially i would i was hoping that steve simon would get his full backing yeah i i agree 100 percent with you and let's hope it, it it does come david i'll uh i'll throw it to you to end is there anything uh we we missed or you want to hit on before we close up shop here you know i I think it was a crazy season between on court and, and off court stuff. And, you know, that's, that's not a hot take by any means. I think we, we covered it all. And, you know, I, I'm joining Steve on the 99.7% uh, in agreement as he referred to it um, as it relates to the, you know, to the Peng Shui situation. I, I don't know if there's any other underlying reasons for why, you know, they're not in lockstep, the two sort of uh, associations at this point in time. I don't know if, I think the WTA has a bigger commitment to China just in terms of quantity yeah. of events. I think it's like yeah. 10 in that, in that deal that they signed about a year or two ago. Whereas the ATP, I think it's just, it's Shanghai, the masters. And then there's a 500 event in Beijing. I don't know if it's a question of, you know, the, the, the fans necessarily being a driver and just the sheer, you know, uh, you know, following that maybe men's tennis might have there versus, versus women's, but, would love to see, you know, both tours be united and, you know, that, that might be opening up a, a Pandora's box of, you know, other, um, you know, issues around the game of tennis where there's been conversations with, you know, uh, I think it's like European private equity firms thinking about merging the two tours. So now we're getting very far away from the tennis sport, but 
I'm sure a lot of these uh, topics will emerge in 2022, just as the just as they've simmered in 2021. David, just a brief. I just want to briefly add that definitely Gaudenzi's in a tough is in a tough spot. He's got a difficult job. I and it may be that his board or the players. I'm sure he was feeling everybody out on this. I just hope that. So I can't. I don't want to come down too hard on him because he, he has a constituency to represent. I just hope that they all will come to uh, be a one mind soon. That and when for just the reasons that David just alluded to, with not nearly as many events, it, it strikes me as that it's, it's less of a sacrifice for them, and that they would be, be doing the sport overall so much good. Men's tennis would benefit from that move. So I just hope that it will come to that. Uh, soon because what Steve Simon has done, we rarely see that in sports. And he was so, his, his convictions were so clear from the very beginning. And, and uh, I, I've seldom seen that. There've been some great leaders in tennis, but this to me is one of the great displays of, of leadership that, that I've ever seen in the sport. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I also, I'm speaking on behalf of Steve and David. I do want to, as we wrap this up, I, I do want to give major kudos to everybody who's working in the tennis industry um, these past couple of years during the pandemic, the fact that we were able to get this through this year um, was pretty remarkable with everybody who is involved in running tournaments and making sure everything is safe. Um, the three of us can't thank you. Thank everybody enough uh, that to get through a, a, you know, a season like this. And it's really, no one's been through a global pandemic like this before. So um, we're, we're lucky to see the season go as well as it did. Hopefully we can uh, get through this pandemic sooner rather than later. Hope we have a great 2022. Um, to, to Steve, this is our first year together. We wrapped up. Uh, I think my wife gives you more credit than anyone else deserves for, for being able to hang out with me for a full year. And David, <laughs> uh, David, you know, we've done these year-end segments for, for several years now. You've been such a supporter of me and the program since day one. Uh, it, it's a pleasure to to have you on and and you guys you guys both added a ton to the conversation as i knew you would um that was never even a question so thank you guys so much have a great great rest of the year and uh hope 22 hope 2022 was great for both of you both per personally and professionally yes thank you david enjoyed it immensely and, and it was it was it, it was uh i think we are going to have a, a captivating season ahead i have no doubt about that thank Thanks, you as guys. well guys pleasure is mine